oral questions by members. Member for City South. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Under this soft on crime premier overdose deaths, crime, social disorder and violence have never been worse. On Friday, Vancouver Police Chief supported our call for a provincial ban on public use of hard drugs in spaces like parks and playgrounds. This is what Police Chief Adam Palmer said, and I quote, it's just common sense, end quote. Will the Premier listen to the Chief of Police and ban the public use of hard drugs like crystal meth, crack cocaine, and fentanyl in parks and playgrounds and other public spaces, yes or no? Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. I want to be very clear about what decriminalization does and what it does not do. And what it does not do is it does not change the ability of local governments to pass or amend their bylaws. What it does do, however, is require that local governments, as they well know, engage with public health when they are considering passing bylaws that have a public health um, Im implication. And this is uh, something that uh, anybody who comes from local government is well aware of. They know the law. They know Section 3 of the, of the Section 83 of the Public Health Act. And, 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 and more than that, um, Honourable Speaker, I would say that, you know, the process of discussion that we went through uh, in this place with respect to uh, uh, the issue of the toxic drug crisis um, the, through, the, through the Select Standing Committee, the discussions about the role of decriminalization in destigmatizing people who use drugs so that we can better connect them to, uh, to, safe, to, to supports and to, and to treatment. That is something that was, uh, that was, that was uh, recognized as important and supported by all members of this House. We are working through, working with municipalities to address any concerns that they may have. They have levers, they have the same tools that they did, and they are well aware of uh, the, the ob their obligations under the Public Health Act. Study South Supplemental. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Well, you know, uh, Interior Health is putting up a barrier for municipalities who would like to have bylaws in their communities. The note sent to municipalities from Interior Health asked them to wait for six months six months before deciding if they will put forward any bylaws. That's six more months of disorder, six more months of chaos. And it was the Premier's decision to decriminalize hard drugs without any practical protections, like a common sense ban on public consumption. Only the NDP could think it makes sense to saying that having a beer or a glass of wine on a park bench is banned, but using crystal meth, cocaine, or fentanyl on that same park bench isn't banned. A province-wide ban is a tool to protect communities and empower the police to guide people towards services. Again, will the Premier listen to common sense and the Chief of Police for Vancouver and ban public use in parks, playgrounds, and other public spaces, yes or no? Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Well, thank you very much, Honourable Speaker. And I just uh, need to correct, uh, to, to correct the, the record with respect to what the Interior Health Authority is actually saying. What the, health, what the Interior Health Authority has actually said is that decriminalization does not change or condone the criminality of specific unwanted and unsafe behaviors such as violence and theft in the community. Although decriminalization allows people to have a certain amount of illegal substances with them, 
decriminalization is not expected to change substance use behaviors. Interior, interior health medical health officers do not support substance use in public areas, as you will well know from our messaging on tobacco and alcohol. And the letter goes on to say that where there are particular concerns, those should be addressed in conjunction with, uh, with uh, between medical health and the municipalities. And in fact, what, what the medical health officers said was that they recommend a six-month observation period to monitor the effects of decriminalization on public consumption before implementing new bylaws or modifying existing ones. And in fact, the interior, interior health medical health officers who are doing an extraordinary job on the front lines in the face of an unrelenting toxic drug crisis, which is the leading cause of unnatural death in our province. Member. They are working with health Member. providers, with, our, with, our, with, with community providers, with law enforcement on the front lines to do everything that we can to try to turn the tide on this unrelenting crisis. And they're going to continue to do that work. Members, members, please continue. It is what, in fact, what they did in Sycamus. Sycamus had a local concern. The medical health office, officers worked with Sycamus. Sycamus now has a bylaw. And indeed, communities know best what it is that they need and, are, and should be sitting down with their medical health officers to navigate the, a process, a public health process that they all well understand. House Leader's official uh, opposition. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, the, the letter that Interior Health sent to all municipalities was very, very clear. In fact, the Interior Health Authority uh, basically told municipalities in that letter that a ban on open use in parks and playgrounds would actually be harmful. That's what the letter said. And the letter went on to say that uh, they don't want bylaws uh, to, be, to be passed. They shouldn't be considered at the municipal level until and only after there's been a period of, of at least six months that go by, goes by to see if there's any increase in drug use in these public places. The public in Kamloops, and I would venture to guess in communities all over the province, don't want to wait another six months. They don't need another six months to see if there's an increase in drug use. It's happening. It's real. It's in everyone's faces today. Now, to the, to the, uh, to the minister, uh, I, surely the minister knows that after six years and two terms of this NDP government, the results are more crime, more social disorder, more overdose deaths, more homelessness, and more violence than ever be before in British Columbia's history. In question period last week, the minister referred to police over a dozen times, and she said that she's in regular contact with law enforcement. Well, last week we heard from the Vancouver uh, chief of police. Now it's Ray Bernodis, the former chief of the Oak Bay Police Department and a former chief superintendent to the RCMP who said, and I quote, drug usage must be prohibited from parks and beaches. That was among many caveats for my support as a police chief for decrim. Wow. Listen to this, when kids don't matter, you've lost the plot, end quote. So the question to the Premier is this, will the Premier commit today to following the advice of these police chiefs, to responding to the pleas of parents and British Columbians, and prohibit the open use of deadly drugs like crystal meth, crack cocaine, and fentanyl in parks and playgrounds and other public places across British Columbia? Minister. 
Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and thank you to the member for the question. And I think everyone in this House agrees that we want our communities uh, to be safe. And of course, we want um, to support the work of our health authorities and frontline um, front police enforcement around balancing off all of those, all of those issues when it comes to, to public health. There is no question that uh, those individuals who use illicit drugs alone are at a terrible risk of dying. And when public health looks at this situation, of course, they are looking at balancing off all of those uh, complex circumstances that cause, uh, that, <laughs> that, that can cause people to die in an unrelenting toxic drug crisis, which not only is the leading cause of unnatural death in our province, but is also robs us is second only to cancer in robbing us of, of, uh, of productive years, Honourable Speaker. And the work that we are doing together, that we scoped out together through our core planning table where police chiefs uh, have been represented, that in fact responds to a call made by Canadian police chiefs. Uh, that is the process that we are in now and we continue to benefit from the advice of frontline law enforcement. I'm very grateful for the work that law enforcement has done, their engagement of the education material and their, their ongoing collaboration is a, a very, very important part of the work we're all doing to ensure that we monitor and evaluate, and evaluate how decriminalization is proceeding on the ground so we can ensure that we are indeed protecting everyone in our community. Opposition House Leader Supplemental. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Well, the reality is, uh, police, law enforcement, chiefs, they're all saying the same thing. They're saying that any support for decriminalization that there, that there may have been uh, amongst them uh, was all predicated on the, the requirements that are actually well detailed in the federal letter of requirements, but that are not in place. There was supposed to be uh, training and resources provided to frontline uh, police officers. That has not happened across British Columbia. There was supposed to be education for the public. That was, has not happened. There was, supposed to be, uh, uh, th there was supposed to be access to health services, you know, treatment and supports for people to be able to access when they need, where they need it. That isn't happening uh, as per the, the letter of requirements. Uh, unique uh, 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 solutions for the, to, to, for the regions and remote areas of the province was also supposed to be there. That's not there. So now you have law enforcement that are saying what, what most British Columbians are saying, and they're saying no decriminalization without these guardrails and these public uh, uh, safety protections in police. People don't want, want decrim without the protections. The Premier's empty rhetoric stands in stark contrast to the results that we see every day. The Premier knows it. Crime, social disorder, violence, overdose deaths and homelessness are at levels higher than we've ever seen in British Columbia's history under this government. Parents are terrified to take their children downtown or even attend school. Now, over the weekend, drug paraphernalia was found on the grounds of a Nanaimo elementary school. Mr. Speaker, guess which uh, elementary school? This was the same elementary school that has over 400 children from kindergarten to grade 7, the same one where a little packet of fentanyl was found by a, a schoolgirl last week. When will the Premier take the concerns of parents seriously, listen to police chiefs who say it's just common sense, and put the rights of kids and British Columbians to be safe above the open use of hard drugs like crystal meth, crack cocaine and fentanyl in parks, playgrounds and public places? You're here.
Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Uh, thank, thank you, Speaker. And I just want to be very, very clear that K-12 schools are not covered by the exemption. They are on the list of those areas that are not, um, that are not covered by the, by the exemption. So that issue will be dealt with. I'm very grateful to the, uh, to the Nanaimo School District and to local law enforcement who responded to the initial uh, very quickly to the to the initial uh, uh, issue that, that came up last week and who will be be responding to, to, to this issue and again we have very coordinated uh, a very coordinated approach on the ground in communities amongst uh, those members of our core planning table municipalities our health authorities our community organizations and our and our local law enforcement and I would, uh, I would have to, to correct the record with respect to the engagement of uh, frontline police officers in the training that has been provided on decriminalization. We have more than 9,000 frontline police officers, and uh, several weeks ago, more than 85, 84% across, uh, across RCMP, across municipal forces, had taken that initial module. The second module is underway. This is work that is happening collaboratively every day on this, on this file, and we are very grateful for their commitment to ensuring that we work together to make sure that decriminalization works and meets its objective of destigmatizing people who are using drugs. Leader of the third party. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. A recent poll from Vancouver found that 80% of people are concerned with public safety in the downtown core. More than half said this provincial government is doing a poor job of addressing it. That's in part because this government is using an old playbook from its predecessors, sweeping the streets without proper housing in place and pretending that somehow hundreds of unhoused people will simply disappear. It doesn't work. Hundreds of people still gather on the streets in the downtown east side because the reality is there is nowhere for them to go. SROs and shelter spacers are not a viable option. People need safe housing, a door that locks, access to mental and physical health services, community support. They need a safe place to sleep. They need support in the form of transitional housing. That's the government's job, and it's one they've been stumbling on. My question through you, Honourable Speaker, is to the Premier. There are tens of thousands of people experiencing homelessness in BC. What is his government's strategy for transitional housing? Minister of Housing. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker, and uh, thank you to the member for the question. Um, I would agree with the member that uh, everyone deserves to have the supports that they need to get on their feet. I agree with the member that everyone deserves to have uh, mental health supports, uh, other types of supports that are needed uh, to uh, get the stability in their lives. I disagree with the member when the member asserts that there's nowhere to go. We have, Honourable Speaker, been creating spaces uh, in particular around the downtown east side, around the encampments uh, on Hastings Street for people to go. We have shelter spaces available for people. We've said many times, and I hope the member can agree with this, that the encampments are not safe, that the shelter spaces that we have available are safer than the encampment, certainly what we've seen on Hastings Street. And so we continue to have the, the spaces available. We, are, we have staff that are on the ground working with people, encouraging them to take the shelter spaces. The shelter spaces is where we do the assessments of people's needs. Once we have identified the needs of individuals, then we move them into other locations. Um, the, the member would be correct to say that some 
SROs are not in good shape. And, uh, and, and certainly the Premier and I have said it many times that we need to work with Canada, we need to work with the City of Vancouver on a strategy on replacing some of the SROs. But all, even the activists on the ground will tell you, Honourable Speaker, that majority of the SRO spaces are absolutely necessary to ensure that we have housing for people. And so, yes, we're building, we're opening up new units. 330 we had committed to by end of June. We actually bought Chalmers Lodge, which is opening. 95 uh, spaces opened uh, two weeks ago for occupancy permit. People are moving in right now. We are close to opening up the next 95 as well. We're just waiting on occupancy permits. We're continuing to move people out of shelters into uh, the housing units, honorable speaker, and that's our goal. Uh, for too long, no one stepped up to say that we want to take responsibility for the people of downtown Eastside. Premier has stepped up and said, yes, you know what, enough is enough. We're going to do that. We're going to continue to do that work. Leader of Third Party Supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I asked specifically about the strategy for transitional housing. What the Minister of Housing wanted to speak about was shelter spaces. And let's be clear, shelter spaces are in no way a form of housing. You have to leave first thing in the morning. You can't come till the end of the day. Your belongings can't stay in a place. There is no door that locks. There is no safe place to sleep. This government doesn't appear to have a coherent strategy for transitional housing, but others do. Others have stepped up. I spoke earlier this month about the village project in Duncan. People get their own space to call home, a door that locks, they get mental, physical, medical, spiritual support. The tiny homes create a community of support. It's cost effective, it's fast to build, and importantly, it's proven to work. The village project in Duncan has been so successful, other communities, and I heard from them at AVICC two weekends ago, other communities are seeking support from this provincial government so that they can have the same projects in their communities. It begs the question of why this government hasn't come out with plans to expand this model province-wide. My question, Honourable Speaker, is to the Premier. Why is the government and BC Housing not adding this successful model of transitional housing into the continuum of housing solutions? Minister of Housing. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. And just to finish off the last question, 1,400 new supportive housings units that are either built or underway in the City of Vancouver, Honourable Speaker. We have been doing that work, decades of underinvestment in housing, and we're making those investments as we speak, not only in Vancouver, but in communities around the province. Now, the member mentions a project in Duncan, and the member will very well know that we helped fund the project, a similar project in Port Alberni, but we're learning along the way. We're learning along the way of what works, what doesn't work. We know that there's some good things about uh, that type of project, but we also know that there's some challenges that come with that type of work. We know that some of the tiny homes have challenges when it gets too hot. They have some challenges when it's too cold because of the systems. So we're learning from all those processes. And of course, uh, I've met with the mayor of Duncan. Uh, I've met with other mayors who want to find creative solutions for their communities. And my message to them is, yes, let's work together to find it. Because in the end of the day, we don't want people in encampments. We don't want people sleeping on the streets. We want them into housing. And any solution that is worth looking at, we will consider. And many of those solutions we're actually enacting. Member for Surrey-White Rock. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. 
We've repeatedly warned that this Premier and his NDP government have failed to put essential guardrails in place. Their narrow focus on decriminalization without providing the necessary guardrails, like access to treatment and recovery, is a recipe for disaster. Just last week, The Economist published a damning article called Oregon Botches the Decriminalization of Drugs, which exposes the dire consequences of this NDP government's approach. And I quote, British Columbia is undergoing its own decriminalization trial, and like Oregon, it has opted not to compel treatment. End quote. Why has this Premier ignored lessons after lessons from other jurisdictions when they pursued a decriminalization policy without treatment and recovery? Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I thank the, thank the member for the, for the question. The, the work that went into building uh, the application to Health Canada for, uh, for the exemption to allow for the pilot project of decriminalization did indeed come with a list of, uh, um, of, of requirements. And I will say that we have worked very closely with Health Canada, very closely with our core planning table, with municipalities, with health, with frontline practitioners, with doctors, with, uh, with police enforcement, with community members, on all of those areas. Those measures are, of course, issues we are continuing to work on. We have, we have increased treatment beds in the hundreds over the last few years. We have a billion dollar investment in this budget to continue that work. We are working with the, uh, with, uh, with Providence Healthcare developing an innovative, seamless approach to treatment, to detox, stabilization, and treatment. This work is happening every day in our healthcare system by incredibly dedicated uh, doctors, nurses, addictions medicine specialists um, across our system. We are working across the entire continuum. Of course, there's more work to do. Of course there's more work to do and we have a significant historic investment in order to do that work Mr. Speaker. Sorry, White Rock Supplemental. Thank you Mr. Speaker. We've actually heard from the Minister today that they haven't met those requirements. She said it in this house in question period today. Whether it's treatment, whether it's regions, whether it's education, whether it's training, the requirements have not been met. And we've seen this play out in other jurisdictions, whether it's Oregon to San Francisco. There is example after example when you don't do the work. There are dire consequences. This minister, this premier, should know that. There are examples there. Overdose deaths, crime, and social disorder have skyrocketed in Oregon since decriminalization took effect. As a Portland area drug counselor, Kevin Dahlgren said last week, and I quote, Decriminalization of drugs is the worst thing we could ever have done, end quote. Decriminalization without treatment has wreaked havoc in San Francisco, Seattle, and Oregon. It's, not, it's so bad that today in San Francisco, they've called in the National Guard. That's where they're at today in San Francisco. Why is this premier, why is this minister ignoring the evidence and plunging ahead with decriminalization when they have not put the necessary work in place.
Minister. Thank you, uh, thank you, Speaker. Again, I want to situate my comments in the context of the challenge that our communities are dealing with, that our province is dealing with, of an unrelenting toxic drug crisis that is the leading cause of unnatural death in our province. And I absolutely agree that we need to, to act in a way that is evidence-based. Evidence-based. And that is what we do. Mr. Speaker, evidence is what we rely on. Evidence is what we relied on through the process of our core planning table with, with chiefs of police, with law enforcement, with health authorities, with addictions med medicine specialists, with public health, with our community partners, our municipalities, to craft the application for the exemption. Because this is an answer to a call that has been put out by police chiefs, by public health, to develop this tool this tool, along with many other tools, to try to change the dial on this unrelenting crisis. And what our public health officials tell us, the evidence that they look at, and in fact what they well know because it is what medical health officers in Interior Health said to communities, evidence from other countries that have implemented decriminalization show that it is not associated with increases in drug use, drug-related harm or crime. We will continue to take advice and counsel from our public health officials, from those who are engaged on the front lines in the evaluation of everything that we are doing in relation to the toxic drug crisis, which everyone knows is phenomenally complex and that requires all of our support. It requires the support that we had through the Select Standing Committee, Mr. Speaker the support to work across the entire continuum to use all of the tools that we have at our disposal to try to separate people from the toxic drug from toxic drugs and to try to save lives Member for Kamloops, North Thompson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the evidence today in San Francisco is that the National Guard and the state police are being called in to try to get a control of the situation that has gotten totally out of hand. Now, we were happy to hear that the former Minister of Education, Mr. Speaker, made sure that steps were taken to have a province-wide ban on the use of things like crack, crystal meth, and fentanyl in school playgrounds. That was a good thing. Unfortunately, that minister is now the Mental Health and Addictions Minister. And when municipalities are simply asking for the exact same provincial framework for their parks, their playgrounds, it's met with resistance by this government. It's met with resistance by these health authorities. And for Interior Health to suggest six months is a good time to just wait, Mr. Speaker, in one month's time, school is out. Those kids don't have a safe haven of a school playground to go to. They're going to be at their water parks, their municipal water parks with slides and swings. And their parents are going to be worried for them, and rightfully so. So if this minister was willing to support a cohesive province-wide ban for school playgrounds in regards to the use of crystal meth, crack, fentanyl and other hard drugs, why will this premier not instruct this minister to implement the same province-wide ban the municipalities are asking for for municipal parks and playgrounds in this province? Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. You know, I, 
just feel like I want to note here that the Thompson Caribou Health Service delivery has the fourth highest death rate due to toxic drug poisoning in the province. This is a challenging, challenging issue. This is taking all of the uh, incredible kind of innovation and dedication uh, of our frontline health resources, of all of our community partners, in order to try to change the dial on a crisis that is the leading cause of unnatural death in our province. And we have been very grateful for the work and the collaboration from municipalities. Uh, I think I said last week in the House that I've met with many uh, representatives from, from, from many cities over the last couple of months and had a very collegial and constructive dialogue about moving forward on areas where they may have concerns. Honourable Speaker, communities are best placed to know how they need to address issues at the community level. And they are well practiced in the law in British Columbia, the public health law that requires the, and sets out a provincial framework, a statutory framework for municipalities to work with public health to address issues in their communities. That is the process I expect that will, will be undertaken uh, in the weeks and months to come on this issue. Member for Prince George Whalemount. The Minister is correct about one thing. It is a serious issue. Under this government's watch, a record high number of deaths in 2022, a record in March of 197 deaths, record 30-day average of overdose calls in March. That is why we are con so concerned about the lack of guardrails that this government put in did not put in place regarding decriminalization. And let's be clear, the Premier's rush to decriminalize failed to meet the requirements that were expected of this government. And I want to remind this minister, hopefully for the last time, so that she gets it right from now on, she conveniently leaves out the actual words of the report that the Health Committee tabled. She should perhaps check out page 48. Here's what it says. Committee members recognized that there is preliminary work that must be done to support the implementation. And here's the message from members of that committee and the opposition. Those requirements, that work has not been done. And that's why we are so concerned about this government's lack of action. The report said must, not might, not maybe, not should, must put those guardrails in place. So will the Premier finally acknowledge the damage that this policy has inflicted and will continue to on communities right across British Columbia? And we are asking him today to stand up and commit to banning the use of hard drugs like crystal meth, crack cocaine and fentanyl in parks, playgrounds and other public spaces. It's his chance to do it today. Will he stand up and do the right thing? Members? Yes. Members? Premier.
it's hard to think of a more I please continue. It's hard to think of a more uh, challenging issue for government than the toxic drug crisis, but it's hard to think of something worse for families uh, than losing a loved one, uh, losing a child who didn't know what they were using, uh, who died, uh, someone who loses a partner who had an injury from construction, uh, developed an addiction, accidentally overdosed. And when you talk to these family members, they say one thing to you. They say, do whatever you can to prevent other families from having to go through this. And I know the Select Standing Committee heard compelling evidence from families just like this. I know that every member in this place has heard compelling evidence from families just like this. Do whatever you can to try to intervene and make a difference. And many of those folks are not public health experts or anything else. They believe that one of the reasons why their loved ones didn't come forward to them, didn't talk to them about addiction, was because they felt stigma, shame, it's illegal, I'm engaging in illegal conduct, I can't talk to my family. And they feel that decriminalization is one of the ways that people can come forward, talk to doctors or nurses or another trusted person about what they're going through. And this is a pilot project. That is literally how it's described. The research on it is underway. Honorable Speaker, if it's not working the way we want it to, we won't continue it. But we do have to try whatever possible to keep people alive and get them into treatment. We have literally a billion dollars in the budget for mental health and addiction treatment to support people. Hundreds of new beds uh, opened across the province. And, you know, I, uh, I understand. Um, you know, when I talk to the governors of Washington State, of Oregon, I hear about the toxic drug crisis in their communities too. They're struggling with this too. I just had a meeting with premiers from across the country. Uh, uh, the premiers from uh, Northwest Territories, from Nunavut, from Yukon, talking about the toll that the overdose crisis has taken in their communities. You know, this is a national issue in Canada. It's an issue right down the west coast of the United States while grappling for solutions to find the best way forward. And really, if we're going to address it, I think we need to do it together, as we have been, frankly, to date. And we need to hold on to that. This is a challenging piece of work. We'll work with local governments to make sure those communities are safe, the playgrounds, the parks, the schools. We'll work with police to make sure communities are safe. We provided additional funding for them to have boots on the ground to provide that support work with mental health providers, with addiction care providers, and we'll do it with the parties in this House to make sure it's done properly. But we're not going to let this issue go on. Honourable Speaker, we're going to do the work that's necessary. The balance question period. Member